We're going to pick up this week, continuing on our walk through Colossians. As we uh, go to verses 9 through 12, and we, uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've been working our way through uh, verses 9, um, and there's a list there. We've talked about there's a, there's a list, and the, the list includes that Paul gives the statement, he says, I'm asking that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will, there's your first item, in all wisdom, there's number two, and spiritual understanding. Now last week, we picked up the first two, we picked up knowledge of his will and all wisdom, and this week, we're going to pick up discussing spiritual understanding. So let's go ahead and read verses 9 through 12 for this week. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Now, as we begin to talk about spiritual understanding this week, we need a little bit of background. Paul, who wrote this letter to the church at Colossae, was combating a strong heresy. This heresy was that there was a group of people who were, who were claiming that there was special spiritual knowledge that was available only for a few people. Just for a few. It, it was really it was a spiritual elitism that was going on because they were let, telling folks that, that, that there's only this certain select group that can get this in-depth spiritual knowledge. Not everyone is going to have this. And so it, it allowed them to kind of set themselves above and separate from the, the, the common believer. Now, realistically, if we're just being honest, we, we see this in some other uh, historical religious practices, even supposedly within the Christian faith. We see this within Catholicism, that there was this mindset that it's the priest who can, uh, can, can go to God, and you have to go and confess to him so that then he can, can speak to God, and he can act on God's behalf and tell you what you need to do. Uh, and, and, and so you have to go through this intermediary to get there, that he has access to that knowledge that, that you, don't, that you don't, don't get. There's just this different level. And, and there's been a, a tendency even within the Christian faith to kind of almost idolize Various ministers, TV evangelists and other people, as if they're just on a higher plane and they're, they're at a level that, that other people cannot achieve. Now, they may have a spiritual maturity. They may have, uh, they, they spend time in study. They spend time developing uh, their knowledge of, of God and they spend time in prayer and all that. But it's not inaccessible to the everyday believer who wants to commit in and grow their relationship with Jesus Christ. And so Paul was combating this, this heresy that was going on because he wanted people to know that spiritual understanding was available for, available for all believers. All believers. His prayer was that they would be filled with all spiritual understanding. 
Not that they would get a taste of it, not that they would have a little bit, not that, that they would, you know, maybe have half a cup. He wanted them to be filled with spiritual understanding. And we've looked recently at what, it, what did it mean to be filled with something, and the, the concept that, that they understood with the word that would be used in their language at this time conveyed the idea of you being controlled by something. In other words, it, it would guide and direct your decisions. He wasn't just saying, uh, I want God to pop the top off of your life and I want him to pour in spiritual understanding so that you've just got it floating around in you. No, the idea was that when you were filled up with it, that it would control and direct your life. So that now spiritual understanding would guide your every step. Spiritual understanding would guide your decision-making process. Spiritual understanding would cause you to react certain ways to stimulus that would come in out, out in the everyday life that we all live. Romans 12 and 2 Paul said, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Catch that. He said, don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does he mean, don't be conformed to this age? What he's talking about is, he says, look, the, the political climate will change. The cultural climate will change. The societal expectations and norms, those things will change. But I don't want you to be conformed to the way the world is thinking and the way the world is looking at things. But instead, you need to be transformed by having your mind renewed. And the reason for that is that only through that transformation and that renewal process will you be able to discern or to understand what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Sometimes it, it causes me to stop and, and wonder, and I think I kind of know the answer. When I, when I hear people doing you know, things in their lives and then saying, well, I just don't know what went wrong. And other people that, that have spiritual understanding and, and are trying to mature in Christ look and go, my goodness, why were you, what were you thinking when you did that? It goes contrary to the things in God's Word. But this person who is a believer is over here astounded because they don't understand what went wrong. Oftentimes it's because that what we're doing is we are still trying to operate within the thinking of this age instead of, of being able to operate by the transforming power of God that has renewed our mind so that we can see things from God's perspective. Don't be conformed to this age. That's what our world is trying to do right now. Our world wants to, wants, it, it, even in the concept of saying we believe in free speech, but as long as you don't talk about any of that Christian stuff, as long as you don't say that God doesn't support abortion, as long as you don't say that God requires your lifestyle to be in this manner and that God supports marriage, it's a man and a woman, it, it, all of these things, see, that's them trying to conform you to the thinking of this age. There's a women's march here recently in Washington. And they said, we're, we're, we're women that stand against President Trump. We, we stand against the things. And so there were a group of women who wanted to go and be a part of that. 
but they, they don't support abortion, but they totally agree that they don't like things about President Trump. But this group, this march says, no, 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 you can't, you can't come and be a part of this. We represent all women, but you can't come be a part of this because you don't support women's right to murder their unborn children. And so you can't come be a part of this, but yet we represent all women. So the mindset is such that, that it's being conformed to the thinking of this age. It's being conformed. I see people that begin to make arguments and begin to say things like, well, there, there are people that y'all don't care about, uh, you don't care about kids once they're born. I don't know how they entirely come up with that, but you, you don't care about kids once they're born, so I, I think it's hypocritical that you're concerned about not, not you know, killing an abortion. See, you're just, you're just letting people, even within the church world, are letting their minds get shaped by the thinking of this age. The, the truth is, then, we need to just step back and say, do you believe that God supports killing unborn children? And I don't find any way that someone can say yes. And then we need to step back and say, okay, and does God clearly indicate in, in the Word that, that you need to take care of the orphans and the widows? and all, Because that's pure religion undefiled. Absolutely. But see, we start to let our thinking get shaped by the political climate. Our thinking gets shaped by the societal norms. He says, you can't do that. You need to be transformed and your mind needs to be renewed. Why does it need to be renewed? Our mind needs to be renewed because that when we are coming out of our sin nature and our sinful lifestyle and Jesus Christ sets us free and we accept the great gift of salvation through his completed work on Calvary, our mind still tries to think the way that it has always thought. Our mind is shaped and formed and fashioned up to that point to the things of the world. And so Paul recognizes and says that has to change. You have to be transformed, and that transformative process is because your mind gets renewed. And now what happens when your mind gets renewed, now you can finally understand what is good and what is pleasing and what's the perfect will of God. Now here's the inverse of that. If your mind has not been renewed, that's why you will see people be in absolute conflict to the Word of God. Because their mind cannot comprehend and understand what is the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. Because until the mind gets transformed, until the mind gets renewed, then you, the, the things of God seem totally backwards. They don't seem to necessarily make sense. Not in our societal norm, because in our society, it's, hey, you need to get ahead. Hey, you need to look out for number one. Hey, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. You gotta, if you don't look out for yourself, nobody else is going to look out for yourself. Then God comes along and he says, you know, he that wants to be first needs to be last. He that wants to be the leader needs to be the servant. All of these things. It goes contrary to the thinking of the world. So you can't be conformed to the age, but you have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. I was reading a commentary this week, and he said, we understand the will of God through the Word of God. Man, that's powerful. We understand the will of God through the Word of God. <coughs> There's people that, that they, you'll, you'll hear, I, I've heard them, I've heard them throughout my, my life in church, hear people, oh, I'm just looking for a word from the Lord. Oh, I'm just looking for a new revelation. I'm looking for a fresh word. And, and what they're really saying is, hey, I'm really not in my Bible where God has spoken already. 
And, and, but I'm hoping that somebody's just going to come up with something that's just going to get me excited and put a little giddy up you know, in my step. And, and yet, we're not in God's Word where He has already revealed Himself, He has already spoken. We will understand God's will when we get into His Word. I hear people say things like, well, you know, I'm just seeking God's will for this area of my life. And I'm 100% for that. There's been many times, many decisions in my life where I have had to, to go and say, God, I need to know your will because there's something very specific I need to know in this. I need you to lead and guide me. But, but, but here's the reality. I can go and find the very positive general things of God's will in his word because we're going to understand his will when we are in his word. When I know his word, then I'll be able to recognize when someone comes along and says, hey, I think this is God's will for you, then I, I can go, wait a minute, that doesn't fit with God's word. Spiritual understanding. The Holy Spirit teaches us, but he teaches us as we submit. John 14 and 26, Jesus speaking, he said, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, the Father will send him in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I've told you. Listen now. He said, when, when I leave, my Father's going to send a, a counselor, the Holy Spirit, and He is going to teach you all things and remind you of everything that I've told you. In John 16 and 13, He says, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all the truth. You know, I, just have to, I just have to stop and take some, some, some stock of my own life and, and ask you to take some stock of your life and, and, and ask yourself this question. How many times on a daily basis do I get up and think to myself, today I really need God to lead me and guide me? Not because I know there's some major decision that's got to happen today, not because that I have some important thing that's happening at work or whatever, but because every day and every moment and every step of my life needs to be ordered by the Lord. And so as I open my prayer for the day, then, then I, to say to myself, God, I want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit to teach me all things. Holy Spirit, I want you to remind me of everything that I've read in God's Word. Now, here's the thing. This is kind of like kids cramming for school, you know, for a test that they're going to have. It's hard. I, I never would pray when I was in school, even when I was in college. I would not pray, God, bring something to my mind if I hadn't studied it. You know, it's kind of, you, you, you kind of don't have that position to be, God, I'm about to take this test. Now, I know I didn't really study, but, <laughs> but I need you to bring some stuff to my mind that I didn't even read. And oftentimes, though, that's how we're treating, that's how we're treating things in our life where we're not in God's word to understand his will. And so then we're praying, God, I need you to show me your will. God, I need you to give me direction. God, and he's going, if you just read the instructions... Well, so why did, why did Paul pray specifically for spiritual understanding? Spiritual understanding. I was reading a verse that brought this to mind. 1 Corinthians 8 and 1. 
It says, about food offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge inflates with pride, but love builds up. Listen to that. Knowledge inflates with pride. Some translations say knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Yeah. If you ever seen if you if you've ever you know watched one of these shows where they're doing uh, a documentary about the ocean or something like that, maybe when you were in school, you ever see one of those puffer fish? This this fish he kind of has little spikes on him, and and as a defense mechanism, what'll happen is if he's about to be attacked, he'll poof, and he'll puff up with air, and so he turns into this little spiky ball. That's his defense mechanism. He puffs up, and now it's harder for for him to. You know, if he's coming under attack, he defends. He just, poof, there he is. Knowledge is that way with people. Now, I, 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 need to, I need to go on the record here and make sure you understand. I'm a supporter of education. I ended up, uh, after Michelle and I got married, we moved to Indiana. I started out going here at Gadsden State while we lived here, and then we moved to Indiana. I went to school at night, Indiana Tech, uh, to get my bachelor's degree. I'm a supporter of education. Today, still, I, I, I'll take some free online classes out of Dallas Theological Seminary. I'll, I'll, I'll read. I'll, 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 I'll try to absorb things and, and watch seminars, even uh, whether it's on YouTube or other places where I can access to learn. I'm a supporter of education. But knowledge alone puffs up. And there's just a reality that even within the world of Christianity, that so many times what happens is people go and they get filled with knowledge, but they do not get filled with spiritual understanding. And that becomes a dangerous thing. Because you can rattle off doctrinal statements, you can rattle off this, these deep discussions about theological positions and all this stuff. I, I, I told somebody here a few months back, I said, here's a reality. The average church that's out trying to win the lost in a, in a world that today is, is less churched and, and has lower biblical literacy because now all of a sudden people aren't growing up with a grandmother taking them to church anymore. There's people that don't really know the stories about Moses or Samson and Delilah or the, the walls of Jericho. They just don't know these things. And so I said, you know, the, the reality is that we can have all of this deep knowledge about doctrinal things and theological things, and that's great to have. But when you go out sharing the simplicity of the gospel with someone, they're not asking you these deep theological questions about stuff that most people even in church haven't even heard of. They're wanting to know how is God going to impact my life? What's God going to do about the fact that my marriage is splitting up, that my child is, has run away from home, that, that, that you know, someone in my life has, has developed, they've got cancer, or they've had this issue, or, or I'm about to lose my job, or any of these things. They're wanting to, I'm hooked on drugs. I, 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 I'm, I'm involved in criminal acts, and I want out. They want to know how the power of God is going to impact their life for real right here, right now, today. And when all we have is knowledge and we don't have spiritual understanding, we're going to be challenged on our ability to speak into that person's life the reality of God's Word that reveals God's will that will impact that person's life. Knowledge 
inflates with pride and it puffs up, but love builds up. And, you know, and, and the difficult thing for people is that when they're puffed up with knowledge, how, how, how does that happen? Let me tell you what it looks like. What it looks like is when people don't agree with them, they puff up. They, they go into defensive mode. The spikes come out, they puff themselves up, and they go, well, I've got better education than you do. Well, I've been through these things. And, and so that knowledge alone just causes it becomes a defensive thing. It's a puff-up thing. Well, you guys don't understand because y'all aren't as educated. Paul said in that passage, he said, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Now, the great thing is we don't have to choose between the two. If we were having to choose between the two, I'd rather you have love than to have knowledge because love will build people up where knowledge just puffs up. But, to, but the reality that we need in the body of Christ is we need both. We need people who gain the knowledge about God and then it is tempered with the love of God that will always build up. So now you can take the knowledge and instead of it being a thing to puff you up, see, knowledge is about you and love is about someone else. Knowledge is about what you get in yourself where love requires an object. It requires something outside of you. See, knowledge alone will just be about you, you, you. But love will be about other people. And so when you can take the knowledge and couple that with love, then it gives you the ability to even know how to build up in someone else's life in powerful combination. Paul also wrote to the church at Corinth and said, I don't want my ministry to be about my knowledge and ability. And he was a highly educated guy. He was a highly educated uh, person from the, from the religious standpoint. He had the pedigree. But here's what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. My speech and my proclamation were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a powerful demonstration by the Spirit. Why? So that your faith might not be based on men's wisdom, but on God's power. However, we do speak a wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. And then in 1 Corinthians 2.13, he said, We also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. Listen to what he said. He said, When I came to you and I did ministry and I was proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, I did not want it to be about how slick my presentation was. I didn't want it to be on how wise you thought I was because I used these long words and I, I explained these really deep things and all this stuff. Even though, man, in stuff that he writes, particularly Romans, it's, it's almost a legal argument. He, he does powerful, deep arguments and explanations. But he says, but that's not what I wanted it to be when I was proclaiming the gospel because I wanted it to be that the Spirit demonstrated power. I wanted it to be that the Spirit showed itself strong, showed himself strong in people's lives. Why? Because I don't want your faith to be based on how wise or how great my presentation was. 
I don't want to logic you into accepting Jesus Christ, but I want you to see some spiritual transformation that you simply cannot deny and that no one can argue you out of with an even better argument or with a, a better sounding logic than what I gave. I want your faith to not be in that, but I want it to be in the power of God moving in people's lives. One of the more interesting things then that Paul goes on to say in that second passage we looked at, 1 Corinthians 2, 13, he said, we, we do speak to people and we share these things not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, which takes us back to that idea that the Word tells us that it is the Holy Spirit that teaches us and it brings thing to, to, things to our remembrance and that also then leads and guides us into all truth. But he, he goes on to say that he also explains spiritual things to spiritual people. One of the biggest difficulties that I find with much of the debate that goes on in the community of faith today is that there are people who want to engage in discussion about, well, this is what Jesus would do. Well, this is what Jesus would think. Well, but they're not spiritual people. Now, let's just, let's just put it on the line. Just because that, that you even have prayed and accepted Christ does not mean that you have matured into being spiritual people who think about things in spiritual ways and have spiritual understanding. And that's something to challenge all of us that we would pursue and that we would be asking God that even as Paul prayed for us and for the Colossian people, uh, believers there, that we would be filled with that spiritual understanding. He said, we explain spiritual things to spiritual people. And spiritual things are quite different than things of the world. There's, there's contrast that we see in Scripture when it comes to spiritual things. The Bible talks about that if, the, if you want to be first, then you need to be last. If you want to be the leader, then you need to be the servant of all. If you want to live, then you need to die. It gives things that, that seem upside down to us and without spiritual understanding, they don't even really make sense because they're contrary to the ways of the world. They're contrary to the things of this age that we're not to be conformed to. You know, in, in less than one week, I've heard two different ministers preach out of Mark 5. We had that happen with Jonathan Augustine here, and then in, within the, the, this, this week that's happened since then, I've heard yet another minister preach out of Mark chapter 5. And both times, what struck me out of that story was that when Jesus freed the man possessed with the legion of demons, because remember the, the story is about that that Jesus and the disciples cross the, the, the sea there and they come to the other side and there's a man who has been basically kicked out of town 
who is possessed with this, we find a legion of demons, over 2,000 demons then, the name tells us. And he lives among the tombs, he's naked, he cuts himself, they've tried to bind him with chains, he breaks them, and so there he is living. He comes, and when he sees Jesus getting out of the boat on the shore, he comes to Jesus, and the short version is that Jesus ends up setting him free from the demonic possession that had been controlling his life. And so the people in the city and, and the areas surrounding that had seen him for all of this time running around naked as a jaybird in the, in the tombs, breaking chains, cutting himself, screaming, yelling all hours of the day and night, they come and they see him sitting in his right mind clothed beside Jesus. And they end up running Jesus out of town. They want him to leave, go away, because that when Jesus set the man free from the possession of these demons, he allowed the demons to go into pigs nearby that was part of their livelihood, and the pigs all run off a cliff, because even, even pigs don't want to associate with, with demons. Can I get an amen? So the thing that struck me out of this was that at the end of the story, that this man who has been cast out of this community for so long, who has lived a tormented life, he looks at Jesus and says, let me go with you. I want to get in the boat and I want to go with you wherever you're going. And Jesus tells him, no. Jesus tells him, you need to stay here. You need to stay in this and tell what has happened to you. You know, the powerful thing out of that is that his testimony would be most impactful to the people that had seen him in the condition that he was before and now saw him in this delivered state. And when they would ask, what has happened to you? And he would be able to say, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. See, spiritual understanding that Jesus modeled in this was he understood the impact that this man's witness could have on the community, that it wouldn't have necessarily if he went with Jesus and went elsewhere. There might be people that potentially had heard about that there was some guy that, that lived in the tombs, but they wouldn't know that this was the guy for sure. So Jesus could let him go, and he could have a testimony, and he could tell about it, but the most powerful testimony that this man was going to have was right there in the community that he was from and that people knew and recognized and were aware of what he had been and then could see what had happened in his life through the power of Jesus Christ. Then, later this week, I heard the message of a man who had been a drug kingpin. Now, I, we, we go to the, to the Gideon's uh, pastor's uh, appreciation meal uh, each year now. We went last year, and then we went this year. And, and so we were, we were uh, sitting there, and the guy got up to speak, and, and, uh, and when he first got up, I, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure what was going to come out of this. He's 74 years old, and then he began to share his story, how that he had been a drug kingpin, an operator of a prostitution ring, part of the New York Mafia, and then he had sat on death row for two years, but now he's a fired-up preacher. The gospel of Jesus Christ goes around the country sharing what God did in his life. 
And he and I were having a conversation. And I told him, I said, man, afterwards, I said, I said, I've got to have you come speak in our community. Because you have a testimony, you have a message of what you were, but what you've done. See, we often sing that. It's in that song, Amazing Grace, when we say, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. See, we recognize, here's the testimony of who I was, but now here's who I am. And what's happened in the middle is Jesus Christ coming into my life. All the knowledge in the world without the emphasis of the spiritual, without the demonstration of the power of God, it's empty and it's shallow. And no sermon can make the type of impact that a demonstration of the Spirit does in somebody's life. I can say things to the best of my ability. They could be fashioned and crafted by the greatest wordsmiths out there, but I'm telling you, they do not have the kind of impact that it does when a sinner comes to Jesus Christ, and people see the difference that's been made in that life. Last Sunday night, I told the men in our Bible study that, that I've changed what I am praying about when it comes to the community. And I have started praying for God to send someone in the Unity Point who has a life that desperately needs the powerful change that Jesus brings. I'm talking about people in the community know this person. They know their lifestyle. They know what they've done for a long period of time. They recognize how far from God this person is. And, and, and you, you might say, why on earth are you praying that God's going to send somebody like that? Because spiritual understanding lets me know that my testimony, my personal testimony, doesn't touch on many of the things that people in this community are living through. It does for some it does for people that have maybe been through a similar thing. And yes, the power of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ changes people's lives. But I'm telling you, there is nothing that seems to spark interest in a community than someone that people know what their lifestyle has been. And then the power of Jesus Christ dramatically and radically changes who they are and it becomes so evident to the community that people are drawn because they say, if God could change that person, I, I, I got to go see what this is about. Spiritual understanding tells me that we need to be more than we are today. And I want God to send people out of the community to be delivered out of sin, to go back into the community and proclaim the message of the gospel to people that know who they are. Spiritual understanding tells me that I cannot be filled up with the knowledge of his will or wisdom or spiritual understanding if I'm determined to keep the lid on my life. If I'm determined that I'm going to keep a lid on my heart, on my decisions and my sacrifice. Stephen, Stephen I want you to come up here for a minute. I need you to help me with something. You got, I, I've got a, a bottle of water here that I'm, I'm going to use here. I want you to take this this glass container. Now, this is, this is one that we normally would have, you know, one of those hurricane things. We'd have a candle down inside it, so tall and slim. And I want you to hold that, and I want you to take and put your hand over the top of that. You got it? Yeah, all right. So I want you to hold your, your hand over the top of that. Now, I'm going to take this water, and I'm going to go, yeah, somebody go ahead and 
prepare. You're going to have to help me clean this up. But I'm going to take this water and go to pour this, try to pour this into that container. Now, you, 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 see, you see what's happening? As, as I try to pour it, his hand that has made a lid over this container, see, it won't let it go in. So it just, it, it bounces off, essentially. It runs off, and it can't go into the container. But now, take, take and pull your hand off the top of it now. Let me have access to it. Now look what happens when I begin to pour this into that container. Look at that. It just, I can pour it straight in. It fills up into that container. Why? Because when you take the lid off, it gives someone outside the opportunity to access into your life and pour into it. Amen? You see, we can't be filled up with the knowledge of God's will or with wisdom and certainly not with spiritual understanding if we are determined that we're going to keep a lid on our life. I want to show you how this came across to me this week. Earlier this week, God allowed me to be sick. <laughs> you know, you're going, what? God allowed you to be sick? Yes, God allowed me to be sick earlier this week. And I'm going to tell you why. He allowed me to be sick because I, could, I took a half day, a sick day off. And I went in and I knew I was going to be at the doctor's office for a while. There's a lot of people sick right now, flu and strep and all kind of stuff. And so I go into the doctor's office and I took a book that I'd purchased several weeks ago I took it in with me, and so I sat there for several hours and was able to be, you know, read through this book. And it highlighted something for me that God wanted me to see and understand in light of this message. Do you know one of the main reasons why we keep the lid on our lives and we can't be filled up with the things that God designed for us? One of the main reasons is because we want to remain in control. We're afraid that if we give up control to God, then He might ask us to give up a possession. Or He might ask us to do something outside our comfort zone. Or He might ask us to embrace people we don't like. Or ask us to forgive somebody. Or He may call us to go somewhere we don't want to go. Or He might lead us down a life path that's different than we desired. Or He might tell us that we're going to have to confess something and ask forgiveness. So we try to remain in control. We try to maintain self-control. But I want, I want to share something with you. Newsflash. Self-control was never meant to be a human characteristic. Yeah? That, that you heard me right. You weren't designed to be able to create self-control on your own. Now, I'm not telling you that's an opinion. I'm going to show you that in Scripture. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25. This is what it says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, uh-oh, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. Did you catch the very first thing? He said, but the fruit of the Spirit. He didn't say the fruit of man. He didn't say the fruit of your hard work. He didn't say the fruit of you really focusing in. He said the fruit of the Spirit, one of those items is self-control. 
Self-control was always designed to be a product of the Spirit at work in our lives. Amen? Self-control, according to God's Word, was designed to be a fruit of the Spirit in effect in our lives. Now, so, so let's step back from that then. And you say, well, I struggle with self-control. Then what it sounds like is you're struggling to allow the Spirit to bear fruit in your life. When we say, well, well, you know what, I just couldn't help myself. I, went, I said this, I just couldn't help it. That's because you're not allowing the Spirit to bring fruit of self-control into your life. Look, I had to get honest. I had to get honest with myself when last August when I started down the path of working on my weight. I had to get honest and say, look, I am, am, am not showing the ability to demonstrate personal self-control in certain things. I can for a while. I can work on it. But I've got to, and I had to pray about this stuff, and I had to, to get God to, to provide, and he has to give me strength every week and every day to deal with that. But the further I go, the easier that it gets because the, the Spirit is bringing fruit of self-control. And I want to tell you something. We for too long have tried to set people free by teaching them self-control instead of teaching them to allow the Spirit to have control. We have too often, we've tried to set drug addicts free by teaching them self-control instead of teaching them they need to come to Jesus and they need to let the Spirit gain control and help them then exhibit the fruit of self-control. You say, oh, but I know people that don't know Jesus and they've broken the habit and all that stuff. I understand. You also listen to many of, of these, uh, of the programs that tell you, and they'll say, hey, you're an alcoholic from now on. You're just in remission. I'm going to tell you that here's the reality. We have tried to convince people to stop sinning by self-control. We've tried to convince people to break addiction by just self-control. We've tried to tell people you need to come to church because self-control. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to go work a job because of self-control. <coughs> and so then we try to figure out why is it that we go out and we preach a message to the world about how you need to, you ought to go work a job and take care of your kids. And then people don't do it because they don't exhibit self-control. Why? Because until the Spirit gets in effect in their lives and begins to bear that fruit, their best efforts are not sustainable. Because self-control was designed to be a fruit of the Spirit. <coughs> now here's the issue. How can the Spirit lead and guide us into truth? How can the Spirit teach us all things? How can the Spirit create self-control in us? How can these things happen if we're determined that we need to maintain control ourselves instead of allowing the Spirit to work in us. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about you know, you know, these odd manifestations or, or there needs to be some big demonstration that happens in, in church. That's not what I'm talking about at all because I've seen too many people that had an experience of manifestation in a church service, but their personal life had no, no manifestation of the Spirit being in control of their lives outside of the four walls. So I'm not worried about trying to see you do something during a church service to try to convince everybody else that the Holy Spirit is working in your life. I'll tell you how you demonstrate that the Holy Spirit is working in you is show the fruit. Show the fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. When those things are being exhibited in growing abundance and growing quantity in your life, no one will question that the Holy Spirit is operating in you. 
How can we be filled with the knowledge of His will, wisdom, and spiritual understanding if we will not recognize our need to relinquish control to God and allow the Spirit to work in us and allow the Spirit to work through us? This is the breakthrough of spiritual understanding I think we need to grasp. It's to this surrender that we have to open up our lives so that God can fill us with all the things that His Word tells us are designed and planned for us. Spiritual understanding. I would sum it up by saying that it is this, encapsulated. Spiritual understanding comes from us yielding to the Holy Spirit. Spiritual understanding comes from us deciding that we're going to follow His leading, we're going to follow His guiding, and we're going to allow Him to teach us. And then it comes from Him. It doesn't come from man's wisdom. It doesn't come from fancy words. It doesn't come out of any school. It, doesn't, it comes from the Spirit of God Himself that is residing in us and is there for a purpose, but we've had the lid on the whole deal, not letting Him do it. And if we'll take the lid off, then He will fill us up. Let's pray.